Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Michael Album, and today I'm joined by... Tom Schneider. And Emil Shore. And today we're going to be talking about our specific goals when it comes to real estate investing, as well as how we set goals, how we think about goals, and how we stay accountable. So you guys ready to just hop into it? Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, so... Tom, I have a, a question for you to start things off. Are you familiar with the acronym SMART when it comes to goal setting? Yes, very, very familiar with it and project management background and all of that good stuff. So yes, very familiar with okay. SMART. Awesome. So for everybody who might not be familiar, it stands for, it's an acronym and it's spelled SMART and it stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So for you, what's the most important letter? And smart. Ooh, I, I love this. Put it. And don't on. say, don't say I, Tom because it starts with your name. <laughs> Tom. Uh, no, I would say <laughs> the most important is specific. Easy way to fall off of a goal is by making it ambiguous. And whenever you start, I mean, I think there's a reason why it's the first letter in smart specific. In that, you know, if you don't make it specific, it's so easy to just put something kind of bland out there, like, oh, I want to become rich, or oh, I want to add something that's not as tangible and easy to kind of dig into because I think it become overwhelming if you're not able to apply something that's specific. So I, I'd say specific. Emil, same question. Yeah. Oh, I get the, I get to go second and just repeat what Tom said. So I, th <laughs> I think so too. I mean, if it's not specific, the other things don't matter at all. Like if you can't put a number on it or something really specific, you have no idea where you're marching to, right? If it's grow a portfolio of rental properties, well, how do you know? I mean, technically, if you go from zero to one or one to two, you've done that, right? So it's something really specific for me is the most important. Emil, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw you a solid and I'm gonna change mine to time bound. <laughs> so you have specific. I'm gonna pick time bound. Because honestly, it doesn't matter what you say if you don't be accountable and do it, right? So the same problem of having that something not specific by not having some teeth to it, like with a specific time bound to do it. I mean, what's the point of setting any goal? So Emil, there you go. There you go. So I like you that specific all to yourself. I'm in time bound. <laughs> well done. I'm going to dare to be different and say that mine is measurable. I think that similar to specific measurable has this quality to it that Emil, you touched on it nicely that if you want to grow a big portfolio, what does that mean? And so I almost see it as specific as being all encompassed and measurable in that, how do we know we've gotten there? We've got to have this point to measure something against. In addition to being the first letter in Michael, which I think is also very important, I think measurable is where I'm putting my chips today. Awesome. So I'd love to hear, Michael, what is your specific measurable live goal right now? Yeah. So it's definitely evolved over time. And we can circle back around to that as to, because I'd be very curious to learn about your what your initial goal was and, and now what your goal is having been involved in real estate for a, a while. But for me, it's to, it's to hit $2,000 a year in passive income. That's my goal. And so I'm figuring out what the most strategic and most cost-effective way to do that is now. I first thought it was get as many units as possible just gather them and, and make sure that they're cash flowing, that they hit certain thresholds. 
now I'm kind of rethinking that strategy a little bit and looking to trim the fat and get really lean and really, really, really efficient when it comes to generating passive cash flow. So that's, that's where I'm at in, in my journey. What about you, Emil? Michael, did you say 2,000 a year? 200,000 a year. Oh, what did I, I thought I heard 2,000. I thought I heard 2,000 too, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, just for clarification purposes, for anyone that thought they heard something differently, it's 200,000 a year. If I could live on 2,000 a year, I would, be, uh, I, would, I would be in a very different place than I am now, and I'd, I'd be very happy, I think. I was going to say, man, I would love to know where you're planning on living on $2,000 a year. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Mars. Yeah, I'm with you. I used to, when I first started, I just started with 10. I'm like, 10 properties sounds amazing. It's a nice round number. It's double digits. I don't really have any basis for it. And so I just said, let me get to 10. And then once you've kind of acquired a couple properties, you see how they're performing. I think now my main goal is I don't want to have to work full time. I like working and I love the flexibility of being able to, you know, I work in marketing. So being able to take on consulting or projects that I like without having to necessarily be full time. So for me, what I've actually recently done is calculated a, my monthly burn on a pretty lean basis and figured out how much is that per month. And if I can get to that level and do some of these projects that I'm talking about on the side, I've basically achieved that goal. So whether it's 50 units that are financed, right, and bring in a certain cash flow per month, or if it's 10, 15 properties that maybe they're paid full and clear and I have more cash flow per month. To me, it used to be all about the unit count. Now it's a matter of what is the actual cash flow coming in per month that will allow me to do the goal I set out. Yeah, that's just it. That's just it. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's fun how that initial goal number becomes pretty small once you kind of get going and working towards it. It's like you get this big jump of momentum once you start making progress, right? Going from zero to one, one to five, where that initial number, it becomes just so much more manageable. And that's where the point where you can adjust and and, and go up, throttle up on the goal. Yep, exactly. Speaking of throttling, Tom, what was your first goal when you first started getting involved in real estate and kind of bring us up to speed on what your current goals are today? I like to think about goals in, in three different flavors. And I think we'll talk a little bit more in the episode of this, but the first one was was getting zero to one, right? Getting into the game, just because I knew there was going to be so much upside, not just from the financial returns and all that good stuff that we we know about, but just getting the education and, and getting into it. So buying the first property was a really a huge watershed of uh, an initial goal, right? Zero to one. But thinking about the larger picture when I first started, it was, all right, let's get passive income of $100,000. Once I do that, for similar stuff that Emil said, it, it just opens it up to, I get time back, right? I can spend it a little bit more with my new and growing family. I can be more selective about the type of work that I do. So it was a matter of time. But also to kind of lean on Emil's example is, as I am scaling my portfolio and that number is becoming more reasonable to get to in a, in a shorter period of time, it seems like kind of a small amount. And you know, once you have a taste for building that success, I think that 200 or 250 a year, 200,000 seems pretty manageable. And I want to, I readjusted that goal number up to keep myself hungry and having a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's great. And that's something we talked about in one of the other episodes we did is that as you get closer and closer to your goal, that they're often not so scary. 
And so you have to reset the goalpost maybe a little bit further uh, to keep yourself hungry for the BHAG. All right. So since this is the Remote Real Estate Investment Podcast, let's talk about where we're all calling in from. Emil, where are you recording this episode from today? So I am currently locked down in Los Angeles, in the San Fernando Valley. For anyone who's familiar, I live in West Hills. How about you, Tom? I am in the East Bay of San Francisco, calling in locked down from Arinda, California. (laughs) (laughs) And yourself, Michael? I am in lockdown in Sacramento, California. I got back to the States from Europe last Saturday and dodged the seeming proverbial bullet at the airport. It only was about an hour and a half and at the time was pretty frustrating. But then I saw the news and saw the hours upon hours upon hours that some people had to wait and deal with the CDC and customs to get back home. So I consider myself very, very lucky, but also here, also in lockdown here in California. It was fun a couple of weeks ago when we were recording some other episodes and before the coronavirus outbreak, Michael was in Portugal and it was, it was cool because we were remote investor podcast. I was in Southern California, Tom was in Northern California and Michael was all the way in, in Europe. So it really felt like the true remote real estate investor podcast. It was fun. And that's, I think, a lot of people's goal that I speak with a lot of people in the academy that have very similar goals that want to travel the world and spend more time with family and go do and see and experience all kinds of things. And I think really that's very possible. There's there's a true reality to that in that if you're managing your portfolio or your properties from a remote distance anyhow, and you've got a phone and an internet connection, you can pick that up with you and take it anywhere in the world. Assuming the time difference is manageable, that's all you really need anyhow. So what's the difference if you're doing it in California or the US or from Fiji or Australia? It's totally doable. 100%. I got a couple of questions I'd love to hear your guys' feedback on. What goals do you hear from other investors that you think, eh, you could improve that goal? Or what are the most common errors you see in goal setting? I'll kick this one off. I think it's something I actually fell victim to earlier, which is just kind of blindly following a number without having the why. So you could listen to podcasts, read case studies, and you're hearing about all these people who have a hundred plus units and you have no idea necessarily how much cash flow is that bringing to them each month and why, like, are they, what if they're still working 12 hours a day to run this whole thing? And originally they had set out to gain some financial freedom and work less, but now they're working 12 hours. So really they've, they've achieved maybe some financial success, but the why they set out to achieve in the beginning, it's completely gone. So I think it's having a really strong why that ties into the what of how many properties or how much cash flow is coming in for you each month. Gosh, that's a that's a really good point, Emil. And I to to build on that a little bit, you know, you're talking about looking at other people's portfolio or hearing about other investors. I think that can be kind of a cancer in that you can be like, oh, why am I not as far along as they are? Or, you know, you can start, your ego can get in the way and totally. I think just cause a whole variety of issues that can get you frustrated and, and all that stuff. So gosh, I had a really good point about hammering in on that why that, because investing can be hard, right? It's a, it's a long game. It's a long burn. There are ups and downs. A really great point of, of not drilling that why. How about your thoughts, Michael? Yeah, I'll, I'll share in just a sec, but I also want to piggyback off what Emil just said in that, and also what you said, Tom, about not comparing yourself to some to someone else because you never know necessarily their story or their struggle or kind of where they've come from. 
So comparing yourself is a huge cancer. And the other thing is that investing is so personal. Mm. And that's the whole point of developing a buy box is to determine what's your investment criteria, not what Emil's investment criteria, not what Michael's is, not what Tom's is, but what's your personal investment criteria. And as soon as we start kind of peeking over the curtain and say, oh, well, what's that guy doing over there? What do they have going on over there? It can become really, really detrimental to your own momentum, your own goals, because you're constantly, you might be second guessing yourself of, wow, well, I'm, I'm not as far as they are. I'm not as far as I think I should be. So it's super, super important to develop your own set of criteria about what's important for you and what's going to move the needle forward for your goals as opposed to other people's goals. That's a great point. I want you to suss out that people have unique, different goals, right? Someone could come in and say, oh, isn't everyone's goal just to make money, right? Isn't everyone's goal just to like become rich? Suss out how some people's different situations or different, how goals can be different. Yeah, it's such a great question. I, I think just talking to so many different people from various different backgrounds at various stages in their lives, from an age standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from a career standpoint, a lot of it comes down to really what they're looking for. And so I coach with people that don't have kids. And so their goal is to spend more time with their spouse and travel the world. Then I talk to people that aren't looking for cash flow today because they've got kids and they want to leave assets for their kids, but they're very comfortable. So they don't need the additional cash flow today. So I think so much of it comes down to how people are looking at life kind of holistically, if you will, and also what their short, medium, and long-term goals are. And I also think that rich is a relative term. And I think also the word, not to get too uh, ethereal here, but good is also a relative term. I always try to caution people and say, well, what's a good investment? And I say, well, good for whom? Is it good for you? Might be different than what's good for me or good for someone else. So I think people's approach to life and goals in general really dictates what's good for them and what would make them rich. And I'm doing air quotes there because some people define rich as dollars and cents. Other people define rich as time spent with their spouse. Other people define rich as experiences collected or had. So I think so much of it really just comes down to the person and where they're trying to go. And a lot of that has to do with where they've been. So that, that's me off. That's my soapbox. <laughs> that was the perfect level of ethereal. And I love that word. I don't, I don't hear it enough. I'm just going to paraphrase in two words. I think the way that I'm picking that up is timing, right? Everyone has kind of different timing. Risk tolerance is another aspect and, and goals. Like really good point. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Michael. Yeah. But getting back to your original question about some fallacies or some holes we see in people's goal setting, I think that people often sell themselves really short in the sense of whether it be dollars or whether it be properties they're looking to obtain. I think that there is such a huge amount of energy and effort required to get this train moving that it can often seem overwhelming. And so people think, oh, I've got to put all this energy you know, and time into getting this one property? How could I possibly do two? Or how could I possibly see beyond that? But once you start moving that ball forward, as you both know, the second deal isn't nearly as hard as the first. Would you agree? You know, I was, I was mentioning it before. I think the biggest fallacy is not working hard enough in defining what the goal is. And what I mean by that is I think there's a fallacy that People might think, oh, doesn't everybody have the same goal? Isn't it just getting rich or whatever? And the fallacies in that is 
to your point you made earlier is dig a little bit deeper about about yourself, right? Like what is specific about your situation as far as timing, right? As far as risk tolerance, I think that's a lazy man's version of a goal is, you know, oh, become really rich, right? So I don't know if I would frame it as a shortcut and just kind of throwing some generic stuff out there. But I'd say the biggest issue is is not digging deep enough. And that kind of, it can be like a little bit touchy-feely, but that's the kind of stuff that is going to pay dividends in the long run if you get something really specific to you, just because as we've talked about before, everybody's situation is unique as should be everyone's goals. It's not a one size fits all where thinking about it at a high level, you could think that, but in to build an effective goal, it can't be that. It's got to be specific. Yeah, I think that's such a good way to put a bow on it and just say, yeah, it's not a one size fits all. And so that kind of leads me into, into a question I wanted to ask you both. And I hope you, you'll you join me in getting a little philosophical with me, but I'm very curious ethereal. to know how you both... Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's go get ethereal for a minute. I'm very curious to know how you both set goals. What's the process physically, mentally, emotionally that you go through to goal set for yourselves? Emil, do you want to start us off? Yeah. I think one important caveat here is as you're hearing from us, it's not like you set your goal once and it's done. This is something I think that's very fluid and and changes as you go along. You're investing for 10 years. Your goal when you started should change after five years, after 10 years. Your life changes, things change. So I think it's okay to consistently reevaluate your goals and say, is this still my goal? I don't think you have to set a goal once and call it what it is. It's not a rice cooker. You don't set it and forget it. Exactly, exactly. It's fluid. It should change with the way your life changes. So my process for setting goals, I think in the beginning, I got really clear about what I wanted. Now, process-wise, I think I've talked about it on a previous podcast. I do a a monthly business review, just where I'm looking at everything when bills are coming in, invoices coming in. Instead of like looking at them one by one, I cut it. I try to lump it all into one point in time in the month and evaluating it. And that's usually kind of just that same check-in. So if my goal for this year is buying two properties, it's how far am I on that goal? If I want to invest by, let's say, April, I need a certain amount of funds. And so am I ahead on saving for that? Am I below on saving for that? I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. I'm just going to sniper in a piece of that I love. I love it how you just block time on your calendar to do that kind of stuff. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. You got to be proactive about blocking off time. Sorry, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, I think it, it does answer the question. But if even we can turn back the clock even further from... I mean, because you're doing this now, knowing that you're a real estate investor. What about when you were just getting started? Walk us through the mental process, the physical process that you went through to get from zero to one, because I think that's where so many of our listeners are coming to us from. Yeah, I'm a pretty stubborn person. So for me, when I set out to do something, I just get it done. I know that sounds ridiculous. Like I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but it's like for me, once I'm, <laughs> once I'm like locked in on something, and I get a little obsessive. And so I'm like, okay, I want to buy real estate or I want to do this. All the other things in life kind of dampen. I'm not as focused on them. And I kind of just have this laser focus on this one thing I want to achieve. So for me, it was like, I knew I wanted to get in real estate. It'd been something I'd want to do for a long time. And I talked about it forever. You know what I mean? You get to a point where you've talked about something for enough time and then you're in the position to do it. And it's it's just a matter of jumping in. You're never going to have all the information. You're never going to feel 100%. It's just a matter of like, you know what? I want to do this. I know it's the right thing to do. Just get it done. 
Did you run into some pushback from, I know your dad has, has owned some properties, but did you have any pushback from either girlfriend or wife or other kind of close people that are like, oh, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah, I, so my wife now, girlfriend at the time, I think we were new into date, it just started dating. So I don't think she had a, she didn't chime in a bunch she didn't have like a super strong opinion. I think she knew like I'd been wanting to do it forever. My dad, because he, you know, him and I had talked about it for a long time. And I think when I told him, just given my circumstance situation, I was looking to invest remotely out of state. You know, he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I think that's <laughs> like, like, how are you going to go buy somewhere else? You know, he, he lives like five minutes away from the properties he owns. Like to him, you can't invest any other way. Like this is, it's like crazy to think there's another way to invest. So I'm sure a lot of people run into that same thing, right? Your friends might look at you a little funnier, raise an eyebrow. Your family might even be like, well, what are you doing? But if you have the conviction and you know, it's the right thing. And especially if you're if you're young enough, my personal example, I knew like if everything went down the drain, if this investment just didn't work out at all, which is like the chance of happening of that are tiny because it's a, it's a real asset, would that end me or would that I could afford to lose that money? That's kind of how I thought about it, right? Like I would learn with that $25,000 down payment I was putting and I was okay if doomsday scenario, if it went to zero, that's kind of how I looked at it. That's pretty funny. I think I had kind of a similar situation where when I started investing, I was it was my wife. I don't think she was super comfortable for the same reasons in that it is completely remote. And I had a lot of confidence in the same kind of way, like a dog chewing on a bone, like I wanted to do this. But I also had a ton of experience in working in this space for a long time. And as the portfolio started to grow, she started to get it where I'd be like, you know, one day I'd come home and be like, oh, the rent just went up $100. And she's like, what? Really? And all these, the cost basis stays the same, right? My mortgage payments amount doesn't go up. So as right. I started kind of layering in more of this, she's like got more and more on board. Another person super close to me who wasn't super excited about it. And he sees what I'm doing now. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. My dad, I keep talking to him like, hey, dad, you should maybe get some rentals. He has a bunch of grandchildren. Like what a fun way. It'd be like a, a very generous gift. But what if he over time was to build a little portfolio for college funds or whatever, right? Something creative like that. But it just still just totally concerns him. And I don't know. You know, I think you're right. The remote aspect for people like everybody knows that real estate is great, but this, that word on in front remote just really scares a lot of people. But I think some of the tools and stuff that we talk about within this podcast and also in Roofstock Academy, it really bridges the gap. And I'd say the, the real linchpin to that is building your team, right? Because it's such a key part of remote is, is having that good team, property manager, lenders, all that good stuff. But Tom, I would even go so far as to say that in order to be really successful, even investing in your backyard, you have to have a great team. So I think yeah. so many people get caught up in the, well, how can I possibly do this? I have to build a team, but I would say that you have to build a team anyhow. So there's not a whole lot of difference with regard to building your team, other than it's got to be done either remotely or over the phone, or there's some travel involved. I would argue that the steps involved are almost the same. Yeah. And so I think there's, it's a sticking point for a lot of people unnecessarily. It's there. I think a lot of folks make mountains out of molehills. That's a great analogy. For sure. I love the deviation from the tools and getting onto this. You can see, we all like love this topic, getting into the overcoming obstacles and, and all this good stuff. So I'm going to go back to your question originally. Unless Emil, did you have anything else you wanted to add with regards to your process of goal setting? No, no, I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. So I 
love thinking about things analytically. And when I think about goals, I think of it's not flat in that there are various layers that I like to put on top of each goal. So we talked earlier about the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. I think of that as sort of an epic. And there's three layers within my goal system, the Tom goal system. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just kidding. The three ways I, I think about goals is you that you trademark this, that. I know the TGAS. <laughs> so, so three levels, there's this higher, more abstract one. And you know, it could be a financial number, but something that is a little bit more abstract, like that $250,000 of passive income a year. And then into that, it's like, okay, how do we make that more real, but still have a lot of building blocks underneath that? So the $250,000 a year going back a layer, oh, that means to do that, I'm going to need to acquire, I don't know, 90 properties, 90 or 100 rental properties. Let's just make it a fun round number. And then, so that's a goal layer. Going back a further layer is like, okay, what does the next 12 months look like building into that? I love the concept of thinking about what done looks like and then slowly working back into the present moment. So we have our passive income flow, we have our properties, and then we have within this year, the specific amount, and then going back and even a layer before that into, okay, what do I need to be doing today? Do I need to be analyzing deals? Do I need to tighten my buy box? Do I need to get my lending in place? What does it need to happen today? And I think looking on the far right side of the spectrum, which is the BHAG, that's more high level kind of strategy direction. And the further left you go, that gets more into the tactics of the actual day-to-day blocking and tackling on what I need to do to get there. But I see it as a full spectrum, right? of getting to that goal and and layers of goals and specific actions to do. Just hearing you say that, Tom, knowing and having worked with you for a while, it makes so much sense that that's the way you think. And I find it so interesting, you know, both your answers, knowing you both as people, it's it's really eye-opening to see about how you think about goals. It's really interesting. All right, Michael, turn it on you. How how are you thinking about goals? Oh, man. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm very similar to Emil in the sense that a bit of a bulldog and I'm very stubborn when it comes to certain things. And once I've made up my mind, it's hard to change it for better or for worse. And so I very similarly decided that this is something I'm going to do and that there was not much in the way that could stop me. So I was doing everything in my power, running towards that goal. And every decision that could potentially derail me, I would constantly ask myself, is this helping or hurting me achieve my goal? And if it was helping, I'd say, okay, great, let's do it. If it was hurting, depending on how fun it may or may not have been, I may or may not have gone down that path. But because I'm a reformed engineer, I see things in kind of a linear path. And so I was able to say, okay, here's my goal. That's the end of the path. And now let's reverse engineer and work backwards on how I'm going to get there from where I am today. So I think about things as very roadmap dependent. So as I've progressed more in, in my investing career, I also kind of tend to think about things like you, Tom, in, in a bit of a, a layered on form of, okay, this is where I'm looking to go. So let's reverse engineer. If I'm looking to get $100,000 in income and I want to do it within the shortest amount of time possible, that means I need the least amount of properties, least amount of transactions, which means I need to, them to be performing as high as possible which means I need to be targeting properties that look like X. And any property that doesn't look like X, I'll just put on blinders and move past it, which is really hard to do (laughs) because there's a lot of good deals that I pass up because of that. But 
I used to just kind of buy things that made sense. I've had to become a lot more laser focused over the last couple of years and say, okay, we can't look at those shiny objects. That's really fun, but I'm really focusing on getting to my destination. And those other shiny objects are just going to get in the way. I mean, what you're hitting on at the end of that, Michael, you're talking about one of the most important resources, which is the resource of time, right? So I think that's something that's so important to protect. It's so important to protect. It's interesting because I think when kind of the opposite end of that spectrum is when people are first starting out, I talk to so many people that are so set on achieving their goal, whether it's a cash on cash return or I see it more so in the cash on cash return aspect. And people are so, so, so attached to this goal that they're not willing to let it go. And I think that there's so much intrinsic and even monetary value associated with getting a deal done or getting your at-bats done. So many people lose out on the experience that they could have obtained by just doing a, a good deal as opposed to holding out for the perfect great deal. And I think especially for myself, I'm so glad that I let myself get a little bit distracted and I wasn't so laser focused at the beginning because it really helped me gain a lot of experience. And it was almost like 31 flavors. I was sampling all this different stuff, figuring out what I liked, what I didn't like, what was going to work for my business, what wasn't going to work for my business. And as someone who's just starting out, it's really hard to know those things. So I think it's great to have a, a smorgasbord, if you will, or have a little buffet of trying different stuff to figure out what works for you because there's not a one size fits all as we previously mentioned. One thing I want to add on to this this segment because we're talking about systems and it reminded me of something there's this a guy who has a blog and he has a book his name is Ramit Sethi. He runs a website called I will teach you to be rich. He's great. And yeah, I love, you know, he talks about personal finance, building businesses. I, I love a lot of his material and one of the things he always talks about that I've tried to really internalize and I think it really helps and I try to pass it on to other people is really just relying on on systems around your goals instead of willpower. So things like automating your savings, right? If you're trying to reach a certain amount to be able to put for that down payment, it's not like relying on yourself at the end of the month to take a certain amount from your checking and putting in your savings. It's paying yourself first with automated savings. So it's happening in the background without you having to do anything. Things like setting reminders for yourself. So if it's calling lenders, right, to get quotes and, and running the number, things like that, putting in your calendar, actually making time for it so it actually gets done and it doesn't just carry over into next week. Again, blocking your calendar, like all those things are so important. Just having a system rather than relying on willpower. I think those, those are such important lessons with goals. All right, guys. So we've been chatting now for quite some time, the entire episode worth about goal setting and, and how we go about goal setting and systems we put in place. When do you think is enough? I mean, how do we determine what's enough? I think you get to a point where you can boil the ocean and, and really overdo it. So I would just be cognizant and trust your instincts on when it's time to go. And another benefit is having a mentor and a coach and Michael and myself and Emil have a lot of coaching sessions that we have with members of Rootstock Academy on this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's you, it's your business and you got to listen to your instincts. Yeah. Emil, how do you know when you're ready to start taking action after you've, you've started to set your goals? When do you move from the prep phase to the execution? Start with your why, like we talked about earlier, like what is your ultimate goal here, right? Then think about it as what is the long-term I need to get there, right? Maybe run some numbers. And then it's just a matter of, for me, I do like, like a yearly check-in. So at the end of the year, you know, I set some personal goals for myself 
professional goals, and then investing goals. So it's looking at my long-term, calibrating, am I on my path to get there? And what do I need to do this year to get it? And so for me, that's, it, that's kind of just how I break it down. I'm not going into like, what's my five-year goal? What's my 10-year goal? Or I need to hit this goal by this certain age or any of those. I used to do that and I've loosened the reins a little bit. I think it kind of just creates more anxiety and stress. So I like to plan more so in like keeping the why and the long-term focus. And then what do I think is actually achievable this year? That's great. I love that. What about you, Michael? What's kind of been the enough for you with goal planning? A little bit similar to you. I'll set the goal kind of at the end of the path and then start to inch my way towards it. And that's, you know, when I first started investing, Roofstock wasn't around, Bigger Pockets really wasn't around. So I was having to piece together all the information for myself to, to kind of self educate. And so dipping my toe in a, a little bit and, and saying, okay, well, now let's go look at financing. Okay. And now let's go look at insurance. And now let's talk to property managers and start doing things that are action oriented and, and move the needle a little bit without having to pull the trigger on signing my name to a mortgage helped me to get more comfortable with the whole idea of starting to take action for that first goal. Doing something a little bit every day that was helpful and encouraging and proved to myself that I was moving in the right direction, I think was really helpful. So we've covered goals setting upwards, downwards, left to right. Any final thoughts from you guys? The most important thing is taking action. It's not always just setting goals or finding goals you have to do. That's the most important thing to me. Tom, final words? Stand on top of the shoulders of people who have done it. Leverage what the work that other people has done. As in, there are templates out there from goals. We have some content in Roofstock Academy that relates to goal setting. You're not on an island with regards to any aspect of real estate investing. So leverage mentors, coaches, or what's out there content on the internet. So leverage other people's work. That's so great. I was just chatting with a student the other day and I was telling, he was asking about long distance rehabs. And so I was giving him some of my war stories and how one of my projects went totally sideways. And he's like, man, thanks so much for paying my tuition to the school of hard knocks. This is great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, you're you're most welcome. (laughs) So yeah, just to echo Tom, I totally second that leverage what people have done before you and know that you're not alone. We're here for you within the academy. There are other investors out there that are there to support you and be leaned on. So definitely take advantage of them. So that's all we got. Thanks so much for listening and happy investing. Happy investing. 